Well, good morning. Welcome to Keystone. How are you guys doing this morning? Pretty good. I'm glad you made it in. Happy New Year to you. Whether you're here, well, if you're in person, you guys get extra like jewels in heaven or something like that. And if you're tuned in online, we still love and appreciate you, and we're glad that you tuned in as well. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ryan King. I uh, am on staff here with our students, um, and I am really excited for what we have in store today. Um, and at the top of the message and at the top of the new year, I really wanted to communicate something that I think is so important is that, one, I'm just really thankful for you guys. I'm really thankful for this church of Keystone, for everybody that calls this place home. And if you are um, someone that's new to Keystone, I'm really glad that you're here this morning as well. Um, I was grabbing lunch the other day with a couple of friends, and first and foremost, I had an incredibly spiritual experience, experiencing the unexpected a great combination of fried chicken and waffles. Take a look at that. If you are looking for a spiritual experience, if you need something to invigorate you in the new year, seek out the chicken and waffles. But um, more than just the spiritual experience of good food, we had some good conversation. And my friends and I were circling in some conversation about church and Christianity, and uh, it kind of follows me wherever I go. And one of my friends said something that really made me pause, that I thought was worth addressing, at least at the start of our message. It goes like this. He said this, the church, capital C, so like Christianity, can spend a lot of time instructing people on how they can be better, but forget to express how valuable they are as they are. So again, it says the church can spend a lot of time instructing people on how they can be better, but forget to express how valuable they are as they are. And like, if you're here this morning, if you're sitting in a seat or you're watching online, you're listening to this after the message, you are so valuable. I think that's like, that's what I really want you to learn from today's message. And that's why I want to say at the top, like, you are really valuable. You're really worthwhile. And I know I'm a guy on a stage that doesn't have a relationship with most of the people here, like a personal relationship. But we believe in a God who does. We believe in a God who intimately knows the details of your life and loves you so much. The the beauty of a relationship with Jesus, the beauty of a relationship with God is that you can be fully known and fully loved. And I think that is so incredible. And I think a lot of us, when it comes to value, we crave to hear that from probably the ones closest in our life, to hear that we are valuable, that we are worthwhile, that what we do and who we are is valuable. We crave to hear that, and we crave to know that. And and the reason I want to bring that up is because if you were to put a pin in the map of your life, where are you today? Where would you say you are when it comes to seeing yourself or seeing your self-worth? Where are you in terms of like the whole chaos of the last few years? Like how are you doing with that? How is it with your soul? How have you been? How are you doing? I know that it's like a cliche thing at the top of the year, uh, during the new year to like rethink on the year and like reevaluate how life is going. But I think it's so important because if we don't ask those deep questions, I think a lot of the time it's, it's kind of like car maintenance, right? So this summer, so follow me, this summer I was driving my what was reliable car and uh, I found out, so this is the start of the issues, I found out that every time I took the left turn at a certain speed, it made this very gentle, screechy metal sound. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And if you're a car person and you're trying to diagnose it, that is probably a terrible description of it. Anyways, there's that pressure. If you ever go to like a car repair shop and you're trying to tell them the sound you hear, that is one of the, if you are gifted in that, 
You're a blessed person. But I do that thing. I'm not a car guy. I do that thing where I open up the hood. I like put my, my hands on my waist and I look and I, I squinch my eyes and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right? I'm like, I'm like I, I know what a belt is. It holds up your pants. I don't know where the hyperdrive goes. Like, it's a mess. It's a mess. And even when you're trying to figure out an issue with the wheels, you shouldn't be looking under the hood. It's a mess. You know? And, and here's the thing. I was actually pretty worried about it because I was like, if this car breaks down, this is going to be trouble. Right? There's that like immediate this financial stress. I'm like, could I afford if this car broke down or there's issues with it? So this, in all of that stress and worry, this is what I did. Absolutely nothing. I just kept driving the car. And I feel like for a lot of us, that's what we do with our life as well. We just keep driving instead of asking the questions or taking the time to be like, how am I doing? How are things going? We just keep plugging along. And I think that can be really dangerous because the problem with that is if you address the issues when they happen, it's maybe a small issue. But if you keep going, it can get worse. And today, I really want to focus on the story um, and the life of a guy named Peter. Because where we're going to drop into the life of Peter, I feel like he's been ignoring the gentle, screechy, medley sound that's going off in his life. And because he's ignoring it, I think he's putting off living into this great, incredible potential that God has for him. So I want to talk about Simon Peter. That's the guy's name. And there's two things that I'd love for you to know about him. The first one is that he is bold in speech. He's the kind of guy that will always speak up and will always put his foot in his mouth. We know some of these people and we are some of these people, right? And I think he's not only bold in speech, but he's also really impulsive in action, right? He always jumps to do something, which I think can be really great, but I think often without forward thinking, trouble comes. So we're going to take, we're going to look at three stories to kind of characterize Peter. And I think you're going to see those two themes, the bold words and the impulsive actions in the stories that we're going to talk about. And the first one we're going to talk about, I think it's one of the most famous stories for Simon Peter. It's the story, we'll, we'll, we'll start where it starts, is, is Jesus has 12 disciples, 12 followers, and they're out on the Sea of Galilee, and they're, they're out in the boat, so I have some crashing water for thematic elements, right? But they're out in the boat, and, and they're going along the sea, and the storm comes, and it starts to rock the boat. The waves are terrible, and Jesus isn't with them. Jesus is like, I'm going to meet you guys on the other side. But the storm comes and they have no idea what to do. And then incredibly, mysteriously, Jesus comes walking to them on the water, which is like crazy and epic and cool. And if you're like, I don't know if that's scientifically possible, that's very valid concern. But I think there's something more in this story. If you can just take one second, put that, there's something really cool happening with Peter here. Because he sees Jesus coming and Jesus is like, guys, don't be afraid. And Peter comes to the edge of the boat. And he goes, and he sees Jesus, and he knows Jesus, and he goes, Jesus, I can be like you. He goes, Jesus, if you call me out, I can walk on the water to you. Call me out to you, right? And Jesus does that. So Peter takes that first step, and he steps on the water, and he's walking on the water. His bold action has led him to, like, this incredible experience. But the problem is he hasn't thought it through because the storm is still raging, right? And he's starting to walk towards Jesus, and I think he sees everything happening around him, and he sinks in the water. And incredibly, Jesus pulls him up. So we see the, the incredible opportunity Peter like, took in his bold words and kind of impulsive action, but also he ultimately failed in his experience. He, he failed in his faith experience with Jesus, but he experienced something crazy, 
The second story, um, so that last one you can find uh, in Matthew 14. This next one is in Matthew 16, um, if you want to read them all yourself. But this next one uh, is really, really cool because Jesus and his disciples, and Peter's included in this, they're traveling around and they're teaching that the kingdom of heaven is going to come, that, that heaven and earth are going to be like made manifest at one point. And Jesus is healing and he's teaching. And, and Peter like answers the question that Jesus has been asking all along. Jesus has been asking, who do people say I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter is the first one to recognize that Jesus is the embodiment of God. That Jesus is the perfect blend of God and humanity in one person. And for this intuition, Jesus gives him the name we know him as today, Peter, which means the rock, which means reliable, which means something strong. It's incredible. It's an incredible honor to be bestowed this new name, this new identity. But almost immediately, Jesus starts talking about how he has to die. So, so here Peter is going, you are God. You are God in the body of a man. And then Jesus goes, I'm going to die. And Peter doesn't like that. Peter has his own agenda. So Peter goes, Lord, there's no way you're going to be killed. We're not going to let that happen. And Jesus gives him a new name, a less flattering name. He says, get behind me, Satan. Right? That Peter, Peter understood who Jesus was without understanding what Jesus' purpose was. Right? He, he's kind of lost in the mix a bit. And the last story is going to kind of lead us to, to where we are and where Peter's emotional state is. Um, it's in Matthew 26 now. And Jesus is at the Last Supper, right? And, and he's having a conversation with his disciples and his followers because the next day he's going to be killed. And he tells them, he tells them again, I am going to die. I have to die for my purpose. I have to, I have to be killed. And all of you, my closest friends and followers, are going to peace out. You're going to leave. You're going you're gonna to flee, and this is where Peter stands up, as he always does, and he says these words here, um, which are, you have those there, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even when everyone else leaves, I never will. Even if everybody else's like, love is based on something else, my love will stay true for you, Christ. Jesus looks Peter in the eyes in that moment, and he says, in this night, before the sun rises, you are going to deny you even know me three times. So this is what happens. Jesus ends up being captured and taken off and tried. And the disciples flee. And Peter's trying to figure out what's going on. And he's trying to follow the action. But a servant girl comes up to him and goes, you know Jesus, don't you? And he's like, no, I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. I don't want to be affiliated. And then again, another servant girl is like, I'm pretty sure you with Jesus, to which he says no. And then the last time, he's warming his hands by a fire, and he's got people around him, and they're like, we've seen you with Jesus. You know Jesus. And Peter curses, and he swears, and he goes, I do not know the man. And I, the sun rises, and the morning hits, and he realizes what he's done. He realizes that he has denied Jesus, the thing he said he never would do. And I wonder in this moment of triple denial that Peter's faith broke in himself, that he realized he could not actually walk the walk or talk the talk. I believe that he lost all sense of his value and his purpose and his potential. 
And, and what's incredible, I mean, this is the beauty of Christianity, is that Jesus eventually and blessedly comes back from the dead, right? He's crucified on the cross, but then he comes back from the dead. He defeats sin, he defeats death, and he actually meets with all the disciples together. And so Peter gets to see Jesus again. And even though Peter sees Christ resurrected, ultimately, Peter has failed in his own eyes. And I think he carries that weight into our story today. And and, and when you walk with Peter, the reason I really want to paint this picture of Simon Peter is when you walk with him and, and when you get to know him, you realize that he is beautifully and tragically human, which I relate to, which I love so much. Because I think Peter really did struggle to see his faults, right? He was bold in speech, but he had absolutely no tact. He always put his foot in his mouth. He was brave. He had these brave and impulsive actions, but he was never strategic. And even though Peter struggled to see his faults, I think more so he really did struggle to see his potential. Again, Jesus had named him the rock. God had desired for Peter to be the reliable place where the movement of Christianity was going to be built upon, and I don't think Peter could see that or understand what that meaning meant. And and, and here, I wonder if, reflecting on that name Jesus gave him, Peter goes, "I'm, I'm anything but reliable. I couldn't even stand up for him when it really mattered. So we're going to jump into the story, and that's like the moment, that's the tension, that's the emotion that we're in. We're going to pick it up in John 21, which is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. So it's written by this guy named John, who was a follower of Jesus, firsthand account, and he writes this at the start. So verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were all together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they've experienced the risen Jesus. And it's almost like they're kind of like twiddling their thumbs, if people do that anymore. Because they don't really know what to do with themselves. They don't really know where to go. And here Peter is leading them to fishing. Right? There's this waywardlessness. There's this uncertainty built into the moment. So Peter and these guys are fishing. And they catch absolutely nothing. It's one of my favorite parts is that though most of these guys are fishermen, they always seem to be so terrible at actually fishing, right? And the first time Jesus ever meets them at the very beginning of all the gospels, he calls them from fishing. He he, he goes, hey guys, like I want you to follow me. And in all of those accounts, they're never catching anything. They're terrible at fishing. And here they are. Years after that first meeting with Jesus, years after, like they have experienced this rich, full, incredible life following Jesus, full of miracles and incredible things you could never believe. Here they are doing the very thing that has always left them empty-handed. And I think if we take this moment and we apply it to our lives, I feel too often When things get tough in our lives, when things are uncertain in our lives, we find ourselves returning to the patterns, to the choices, to the habits that always leave us empty-handed. And the incredible thing about God 
is he never wants to have you return to those things. That if, if, if you're sitting here or listening to this and something came to mind, that habit, that choice, that thing, that God wants so much more for you. And we know that is true because that's what he wants for Peter. The story continues. The sun breaks over the horizon. The night ends and they come back to shore empty-handed. And I like this moment. I like the feeling in this moment because when we're in a point in life where we really need a win, like we really need the W, and, and we, if we're doing the thing we thought we were really good at, you know, and, and you fail and you, and you don't get the win, like you just needed it so bad, it's hard not to just think like life is out to get you, that, that you, you're just not good at anything. It's hard not to let that sit in who you are. So, so the boat full of guys gets closer to the shore, and there's a man on the side of, on the beach, and he yells at them. He's like, hey, did you guys catch anything? To which, in all of their embarrassment of fishing all night, they have zero fish, so they tell the guy no. So this dude, he yells at me. He's like, why don't you just throw the net on the other side of the boat? And they're like, what do we have to lose? We have already lost all of our pride. So they throw it over, and they pull up a whole haul of fish. Like, they can barely pull it into the boat. And you might already know who the guy on the beach is. So uh, verse 7 in, chapter, in John chapter 21 says this. Then the disciple Jesus loved, and I like this quick aside, John, the author of the book, is the disciple Jesus loved. If you are ever to write a book about yourself and like you're encountering Jesus in it, why not tell everybody but you're the one that Jesus loved, right? So John obviously worked hard on his humility, um, right? That, that's his story. It's none of our business. So uh, John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And then Simon, this is the characterization of Peter. Like there's no way he's fictional, I believe, because he always does the same things. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, that it was Jesus, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work very risque and jumped into the water and headed to shore and the the rest of the 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 verse goes like this the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore thanks a lot peter and for they were only about a hundred yards from shore so peter didn't have to swim too far when they got there they found breakfast waiting for them fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread and then jesus says this to the to to them Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. And I like this moment. This is like some of the stuff that if you like really think about Jesus, it's really cool. That Jesus is just like, hey guys, like I got breakfast for you. Like come and eat. There's a psalm that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? I think Jesus, like he always has meals and is always hanging out. He knows the power of like a good meal. He knows the power of a good breakfast. If in 2021 he said, come and eat and he had some chicken and waffles, I'd be like, ooh, I'm coming over there. The Lord is good indeed. But I think it's like such an incredible moment. That, that he's like, not only is life good with me, but I am good as well. And I think that invitation is here for anyone that is, is like on the edge of following Christ or is exploring Christ or doesn't really care and know a lot about Christ, is that the, the invitation is always there. The risk is so low. He's just like, come and taste. Come and experience. I want to invite you in. There's no risks. There's only reward. And I just love it. Jesus knows the power of a good breakfast. So they eat, and I like that they eat fish and loaves because it throws back to the miracles that Jesus did feeding the 5,000 with just a couple fish and loaves. It's so powerful. The imagery is beautiful. They eat it, and then breakfast finishes up, and Jesus says, has some hard questions for Simon Peter. 
uh, and says this. So after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And this is one of the things where these, like we have to infer some things about these because John doesn't tell us what these are. So I think there's two things Jesus could be referring to. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then I imagine he indicates. And one place he could be indicating is actually to the rest of the guys sitting around the campfire. He could be going like, do you love me more than the rest of these guys? Because Peter always boasted that he was, he was the one that would always follow Jesus. He would never give up. He was better than the rest of the guys. So I think Jesus is kind of like poking at him. He's like, do you love me more than the rest of these guys? Like, like you've always said. The second one is when Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He could be indicating to the boat and to the fish. And he's saying, Peter, do you love me more than this old identity? Do you love me more than this, this default thing you keep going back to? Do you love me more to give up who you were and find who you can be? Are you willing to give up the comfortable and the natural for something extraordinary? I like that moment. I like when, when, when like we can figure out what is John trying to say here. So those are two of the possible things, and they get at the heart of Peter. Like Jesus is trying to get more from him. So do you love me more than these? And, and this is Peter's response. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus repeats the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. And then Jesus gives the response, then take care of my sheep. And John's doing something really cool in writing this. So, so Simon Peter is the full name of the character we're talking about, about Peter. We normally call him. And I love that Jesus calls him Simon. Simon. And son of John, he's not the author, John's son. There's apparently a lot of Johns out there. But Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I like that John calls this guy Peter because there's this tension in the identity. There's this tension in the name. It's, it's almost like as we read it, we can feel like, who is this man going to live into? Because clearly, Jesus is using the name Simon on purpose. He's not using the name he called Peter. Because I think Jesus wants to go, Peter, are you willing to live into something more than who you are being in this moment? And I think that's the tension John wants us to see. So it goes on. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And if we were in this experience, we would respond exactly how Peter does here. He says, Peter, Peter was hurt. That Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus just says, then feed my sheep. And I want to enter into the question that, that can be asked here. Is if God, if Jesus knows everything, why does he keep asking Peter the same question. Like, because I do believe we have a God that, that knows us, that intimately dives into who we are, knows every detail of our life, and loves us where we're at. I think Jesus knew that, that Peter really did love him, that Peter was just flawed like we all are. And I think Jesus knew this, but why does he keep asking Peter the same question over and over? And I think it's because forgiving ourselves is complicated. 
more so than forgiveness from God because the forgiveness of God is always given. Forgiving ourselves is complicated. The beautiful thing in this moment is that Peter, Peter denies Jesus three times, right? And here Jesus is offering, do you love me three times? He's trying to provide some level of resolution for Peter to find in himself. Because the thing about forgiveness, if we are all real with it, forgiveness isn't a one-time thing or even a three-time thing. I wonder if, if Peter leaves this moment and does the rest of his life and always feels the tension of denying Christ. And has to find that forgiveness over and over. Because the forgiveness is always offered from Jesus, but is Peter willing to offer it to himself? And I think it's a question, uh, like the question we can pull from this and ask ourselves is this. Are you defining yourself by a past Jesus has already redeemed? Are you letting the faults and mistakes and brokenness define who you are? Because I feel like I, I get caught up in this all the time. There's this list like in the back of my mind or in the corner of my soul of all of the things that I've fallen short in. Like all of the things that were not enough, that I was not enough in, that I have screwed up, that I, I have broken. Some of the things might be perceived or real things. And I think this list, when I start to build the not-enoughness, when I start to build the brokenness within me, I think it starts to bleed into my day-to-day -day life. The things I'm not forgiving myself of are the very things that keep, like, informing me why I'm a screw-up when I enter into my relationships, when I enter into my friendships, when I enter into my marriage, when I enter into my job, that I'm allowing all the things of my past to inform who I am now. And that fear, that uncertainty that starts to happen when the list grows and we don't address it, I think it keeps us from living presently and living fully and living into something so great that God has for us. And it hits the big idea, and I wrote it big because it's big and I think it's important. It says this, who you were does not have to define who you can be. Who you were does not have to define who you can be. And I wrote it this way for a very specific reason. It's because I believe who you were does not have to. You have all of the agency, all of the choice, all of the free will to define who you can be. You have all of the opportunities to, do, to define who you can be. You have agency and you have choice to define who you can be. Right? It's, it's not magically done. We have to do the work within ourselves to, to get there, right? To see that. Because I think the gift, this is like so anti cultural, even anti American, the gift of grace that Christ extends to us is mind bogglingly stupid. Because if you think about it, there's nothing we can do to earn the grace or the dignity or the value or the love or the forgiveness of God. God has all of that power and he always extends it freely. But the question is, are we willing to extend it freely to ourselves? Are we willing to accept that for ourselves? Are we allow, like, going to let that move us and change us? And again, on the precipice of a new year, even if it's cliche, are we willing to, to address our past? Are we willing to take a look at this last year, this last two years, this last lifetime, and see how it might be driving us who, like how we are today? Because there might be things 
that are affecting how you see yourself today? How are they driving you? And ultimately, are they driving you to a destination and a place that you want to be? Are they driving you to a life that is rich and full? Or are they driving you to a life that is apathetic, that you've been defeated and you're just going to go fishing again? Because are we returning to the patterns, the habits, and the choices that will always leave us empty-handed? What are the things in our lives that, that are just us hauling up empty nets again and again and again, hoping for something different? And, and I, like, I like the way that Christ interacts with Peter here. Because he desires for Peter to feed his sheep. And I think the invitation is the same for us, to feed his sheep. And, and that simply means just to love other people. As we see in the example of Christ, which is actually really simple but really hard. But first, before we can love other people... We have to love ourselves. Before we love other people, we have to find forgiveness in ourselves. Because if we don't address the hurt inside, we don't address the brokenness or the shame or the guilt or whatever it is, it's going to bleed into other parts of our lives. And it's just going to create a cycle of damage. And the cool thing is, Christ is present for the whole journey in some mysterious, incredible way. And sometimes that journey looks like the vulnerability of, of addressing friends and family member who we've hurt or who have hurt us. Sometimes that journey with Christ looks like doing the hard thing of counseling and therapy, which I think is an incredible gift today. And sometimes that journey looks like doing 15 minutes of some daily discipline, which can be just as hard as the other things, whether that's praying or reading or meditating or just sitting in silence and seeing how we're doing. Before we wrap up, this, the story doesn't end here with Peter because there's one thing. So, so Peter's been offered the forgiveness. Peter's been offered the purpose, right? And there's still one thing that has the, the, the possibility of knocking him off of all of it. And it's the same thing that has the, the possibility of knocking you away from your potential. And I love that it's included at the end of, of John 21. Because Peter, he looks over to his friend John. And he asks Jesus, well, what about this guy? What about John? What are your plans for him? And again, I love Jesus' Jesus's directness. Because Jesus just says, what is that to you? You follow me. And the story of our lives and the story of your life who you aren't isn't interested, isn't interesting. We need to stop comparing our life and our purpose and our value to those around us because it's not interesting and it doesn't lead us anywhere. It just keeps us spinning. As I was actually writing this part, it's just the beauty and irony of this. I was sitting in a coffee shop and I saw a guy and I know this guy. He's great. He's a really cool person. But my mind started spinning because I was like, you know what? Everybody kind of likes this guy more than me. And he's, he's really good at communicating stories, and he's really funny, and he's doing all these things. And my life, like, my mind just spun. And it wasn't very interesting, and it didn't move me, and it didn't, like, push my life anywhere. My mind started spinning, but there was no actual direction. There was no momentum. It's just wasted time and space to compare our lives to those of other people. Christ just wants us to follow him. He says, you follow me. It's hard, but it's simple. Because who you aren't isn't interesting, who you're becoming is. Like, the other people around us, we should love them and encourage them and tell them their value. But 
in our lives and in our walk, we should stay fixated on Christ first and foremost. And I think that's where God wants to lead us. Just like Peter, who was supposed to be the rock and reliable, God had a plan for him. Just like calling Peter to feed his sheep, to step into the role of a shepherd, God had a purpose for him. You today, whether you're here or you're watching online or after the fact, you today do have value and purpose and potential that is so unique and specific to you that is desperately needed, that is desperately needed in this world. And if we could enter into that love, we could enter into that purpose, we could enter into that value, things would start to change in our immediate lives and the world around us. Now, I want to, to land with this quote because I think it gets at, it's kind of one of the things that was on my mind for most of writing this talk. Um, so if you want to take a picture of it or meditate it on it or think about it, um, it goes like this. May awareness of faults in myself or in others never open the door to spite or bitterness or hurt, but grant me the deep appreciation for grace. May the awareness of faults in myself or others never open the door to spite, but grant me the deep appreciation for grace. Would you guys pray with me? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for the stories that you have kept around within the Bible. Because when we look at the story of Peter, we look at this beautifully human person, we can find ourselves right there along with him. God, sometimes there's things that enter into our lives that, that knock us off our purpose. The, the things we've screwed up in or the things that have been done to us. And Lord, for anyone here, anyone hearing this, I pray that we can accept the forgiveness you offer. That we can accept that you have already died for and redeemed any of the actions that have, we have done that have hurt others or any of the actions that others have done to us that have hurt us. God, forgiveness is the perfect starting place for a new year. Forgiveness, God, is the perfect starting place for following you. Lord, may we do the hard work with you of taking a look at this last year, last however much time, and work through some of those hard things. Because God, everyone in this room has so much value and potential. Lord, let us see it. Open our eyes to it. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son, Christ, who on the cross was able to give us everything we desperately needed. God, we pray in his name, amen. If you guys uh, need any specific prayer in your life, we're going to have a couple of incredible friends under the screen here that if you just want to talk about anything going in life or pray with anybody, they're going to be over there. Otherwise, I hope you guys launch into your 2022 fantastically. Thank you for being here this morning.